1: Good
2: Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer is the morning off. CPI does come in pretty much in line, up five tenths on headline, six four year on year, which is the seventh consecutive month of declines. Market seems to have priced that in pretty well. Futures relatively steady. Our robot begins with that sticky inflation data. Uh, CPI showing annual deflation again, down seven straight months, but signs that the pace of easing
1: may be leveling off. Plus, Ford is cutting costs. It's laying off thousands as it shifts. to focus to EVs. Chairman Bill Ford saying the company took its eye off the ball. And shares of Palantir are having a rare day. Why? Because they're up ahead of the open. The company slows hiring, but it forecasts its first profitable year.
2: Let's get to that CPI print. Obviously, market's been waiting for this for days, trying to price it uh, in advance. Uh, a lot of focus this morning on core services uh, and um, shelter, especially. And that's important because if that does make up the lion's share of the inflation, you could argue, I guess, it operates with a lag and maybe things are happening uh, faster than the data can reflect. It's
3: been the prevailing idea that you can, to some degree, look through the shelter component. Even uh, Fed Chair Powell has more or less nodded in that direction by saying core services X shelter is the is really the super core item that we're looking for. That was on an annual basis down below four percent, although still kind of stickier than you'd like to see. So the the monthly prints are still elevated, but yeah, the market is had a fix on this. Um, I think just in general, the components are, are not whipping around the way they were last year. The, the numbers themselves are moving more slowly in a somewhat more predictable way. So you got an on target reading month over month and. The bond yields had, you know, lifted over the last 10 days into this. So it's not as if the market was caught flat-footed by the idea that, well, we still have uh, higher inflation than we'd like. So you also almost priced out uh, the possibility of rate cuts later in the year. Not quite, but before today almost did that. So it feels like the market was where it was. What I find amusing is people, you know, ahead of time, the trading desk handicapping how much the stock market would move (laughs) on various different prints for CPI. And there was almost no room allowed for anything less than a three-quarter percent move in the S&P 500. So I think there's this sense out there that we got used to this being a really uh, kind of spring-loaded number and the market was going to rebel one way or the other. And it's not quite the case right now. Maybe the economy remains too strong for the Fed's liking. We probably have to price in higher for longer. But that's not fresh based on today's numbers, it doesn't seem.
1: So I mean, the move in the bond market is not much, right? Four, five. Where were we were four, five. We're yeah. five, three, or somewhere around there. Nothing in the ten-year dollar. Yeah. kind of hanging the same on
3: on the news, right? But yeah. but the ten-year was at three forty like twelve days ago. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, the ten-year was was at three forty like a you know less than two weeks ago before the jobs number. So you've had this uh, pretty big repricing in there. I do know note the six-month. Bill is above 5%. So that's a little bit of a benchmark to say, you know, this is where we are because the six month frame is going to capture presumably peak Fed funds. And that's now uh, above 5%.
2: So we're going to get more Fed speak today. Uh, we've had, I think, uh, Barkins on the table, we'll get Logan Harker Williams. Um, to what degree does this all get chewed up uh, today?
3: Uh, Job's not done. They're going to say the job's not done. Um, Probably going to speak in unison about um, the possibility we might have to do a little bit more and the higher for longer. Maybe the peak rate that we handicapped in December is not quite there. But uh, I don't know. The temperature has been dialed down just a little bit at this point. What's also been interesting is the market response, even to a pretty poor earnings season, hasn't been terrible. So I don't know. It's not as if, you know, the market built up these you know, calluses last year that 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 means it can't get hurt. Uh, but there was a little bit of uh, of resistance to bad news. that, that Well, the Mike, let's let's dig
1: in. When you say pretty poor earnings season, yeah. it's kind of funny to even hear poor associated with the earnings season, especially given the response in the market So, yeah. what are you looking at when you use that word? Um, the beat rate, the absolute year over year growth, um, and also the change
3: in um, the first quarter estimates that has occurred, the cuts in, in first quarter um, earnings estimates based on what's come out for the fourth quarter number. So you're down three percentage points since the beginning of the year uh, based on what we're expecting this year. So guidance has been skewed lower. But what's interesting is, of those companies missing, the stock market reaction has been as benign as you've ever seen it. So does that mean the buy side was working off different numbers or investors in general didn't expect much out of it?
1: Uh, that, you know, that seems
3: to be the takeaway.
1: Right. I mean, we've been talking about S&P earnings being, what, in the 200 yeah. area for this year. Maybe we talked enough about it that 200, I still don't think is priced in, you don't.
3: But But we're on this glide path to where it's going down, but not in this really shocking way. It's kind of happening and it's a grind as opposed to a a real huge air pocket in the numbers.
2: Yeah, uh, we're about, um, we're almost done. I mean, 80% of earnings are in for the quarter. Uh, 69% are managing to beat. Uh, One-year average is 75. Five-year average is 77.
3: Yeah, Um, but the magnitude of the beat is lower. So, you know, they're eking it out and it's kind of how it goes right now is companies are really good about making sure that the numbers are not too far out of whack before they actually report.
2: As we said, we'll get some more Fed speakers later on this morning. We've already gotten some uh, speakers from uh, the major banks, uh, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs. In fact, David Solomon said the chances of a softer landing have improved. Uh, Here's some of what he said.
1: Inflation is still sticky.
3: And, you know, I'm, I'm in the camp that it's still uncertain you know, exactly what the trajectory will be of tamping down inflation. And inflation is a big headwind for growth, and it's a big headwind for corporate investment. I think I think you know investment in industrial companies is still going to be relatively conservative for a period of time until there's more certainty. And so I'm not sure. I, I, I agree with the consensus that it's a softer scenario, but there are still tails, yep. you know, both to the positive and to the negative that could be harder. And I just I think we're in an environment where we're probably going to have kind of more sluggish, slower growth for a period of time. Uh,
2: pretty interesting comments about headcount and, uh, and capital flexibility this morning.
3: Yeah, and I think that's where everyone's mind is. I mean, the, the economy hasn't given way as quickly as you would expect if you're expecting a, a much harder landing, right? We know that. The January uh, credit card spending data was way to the upside uh, based on expectations. Obviously, the jobs numbers are where they are yesterday housing-related stocks were leaders on the upside, right? You had the home builders up more than, like, 2.5%, Home Depot lows, you know, Sherwin-Williams, the whole complex. It just seems as if even the housing market, you know, on this one percentage point drop in mortgage rates, all of a sudden got a little bit of a rebuild of demand. So uh, it's certainly not happening quickly enough. And um, that's the question, is if the Fed really says, well, that just means we have more ammo To raise further uh, on the rate side and and, and do more to be sure that inflation is taken care of or we're willing to see how this plays out. I mean I think those are the the two sides of it. Um, And of course the leading indicator still suggests we should get a good deal of slowing. I mean you know a lot of it's working its way through short yields being where they are a lot of loans reprice off that stuff right. So it should it should actually have some effect.
1: Yeah. Now, that's a good point in terms of uh, at least those companies that have a floating rate capital structure or some of their capital structure being floating rate. It's not looking good if you have near-term maturities and have to reprice uh, at far higher uh, rates. You know, as for housing, I mean, in, the, in this latest report, rents were still up. I guess yeah. it lags in terms of catching up with, it the, does, yeah. with the current data. Because what we were up, residence was up 0.7%, 8.6% year over year still for rents.
3: Yeah, based on the, on the way it's calculated, everyone's kind of been... Uh, sort of schooled on how that's going to have to work its way through more slowly. People are fixated on the, the sort of more real-time indicators of uh, rent listings, things like that, that seems to be, seem to be more friendly, but we'll see if it you know, comes through because remember last year we were waiting for used cars to, to start to actually help out on the inflation readings, way after the actual market-based measures of used car do, prices. Do, do, went this, down.
1: do the home builders usually lead us out of a, of a- of a downturn. Yeah, the early
3: cycle. Yeah, yeah pretty much. But, um, you know, they're still well off their highs, but it's it's just been.
1: Yeah, although that's a, not pretty, a pretty cooperative, well. pretty aggressive chart. You just look at
2: that move. Apollo's got some good
3: charts out today that financial conditions are easier now than when the Fed started hiking. Exactly. Yeah. By some measures, that is. true. I mean, the absolute level of yields really does matter. The valuation of the stock market is down to a degree. So that's a drag, but it's definitely not super tight. Right.
2: Uh, Joining us this morning with his take on the markets and, of course, the data this morning, Schwab Asset Management CEO and CIO Omar Aguilar. Omar, it's great to have you back. Do you consider this morning's number uh, sort of a push or are some marginal improvement in the inflation picture?
4: Well, it's uh, certainly um, more of a push and certainly more of a tie between the dovish and the hawkish views in the market today. Like uh, you can basically take any side and uh, look at this report uh, to confirm your views uh, one way or another. Uh, on the one hand, you know the report suggests that inflation still high, and and therefore that gives the Fed and all you know old Fed officials you know more ammunition to continue its hiking you know path. Uh, On the other hand, you will basically say that the long term trend on inflation is coming down and therefore, you know, the possibility that the economy will stay in a soft landing will probably be the best case scenario. So you can actually basically play both sides.
2: Do you are you a a proponent or a follower of this view that getting to four, let's say, uh, can be done but getting to two? will be a multiple in terms of difficulty and if so does the market have a moment of clarity when when they come to the realization that that may be the case
4: well we have like uh, several forces on the on this carl you know on one hand we have the market dynamics that basically tells us on the equity market you know they're basically giving us one particular view of what this might look and what that basically tells us is that it probably thinks that the the rate or we're going to get to that 2% is going to be faster. And, and certainly the equity markets seem to be fairly optimistic, at least up to, to yesterday, to basically think that, yes, we're going to be in the soft landing or no landing scenario. On the other hand, you have the bond market, and the bond market is giving us a very different picture. Very, very much in the in the camp of an inverted yield curve that is really, really, you know, historically, you know, high and that widening between the twos and the tens. That basically suggests that there will be a recession, and therefore the the Fed will probably need to just stay a little bit aware of the financial conditions. Uh, and then the, the last thing you have is the economic data, and as we said, you know, in look at this morning data that would suggest that the pace. We're getting to that two percent is going to take longer. So our point of view is that because we have these rolling, you know, pieces of the economy moving, that this is going to probably take some time before we can get down to two percent. Maybe just to get to three to four percent, you know, at some point during this year. But it's going to take much longer to get to that two percent.
3: Omar, where does that leave you, though, in terms of trying to assess the risk reward when it comes to things like equities? If you feel as if uh, that they've priced in a pretty friendly scenario by now and you think the bond market is uh, taking
4: issue with that. Well, you know, certainly, you know, the the equity market, you know, has uh, uh, these particular uh, characteristics of look through and trying to extrapolate the future, you know, probably down the road, regardless of what, how long the economy and the economic data actually takes to, to, to look. So it's usually ahead of the curve. Now, the challenge with that is that, you know, in order for the equity market to be a little more clear on where that is gonna go, we need a little bit of a stability. And I think from our point of view, you know, the stability of yields in the bond market is exactly what will probably determine that inflection point. Because if you look at just the 10-year yield and the volatility of that 10-year yield just in the last couple of weeks, it's just been, you know, incredible to actually just see how much and how fast that moves And it's not until we get a little more stability of those yields and therefore prices to actually on inflation that we will actually going to get a better sense of what the market. So we expect more volatility in equities until we'll get more stability on bond yields and a little more clarity on this rate of inflation decay.
2: So does that mean at this point that you are not warming up to increasing your weight, let's say, in equities? Are are these we mentioned some of these six month uh, T-bills? Does that remain a nice place to park?
4: Uh, you know, I, I think the, the ability for us to actually just open um, the, the possibilities, if, you know, we have been discussing these, you know, even from the last quarter, uh, in the fourth quarter, we say like Tina is pretty much dead. And now, you know, this open up to a lot of really good possibilities. You know, the yields that you get on the short part of the curve in fixed income is something that, you know, it's very open now that we didn't have before. And if you actually wait probably for, you know, 12 months to 18 months, you're probably not going to get as much as you can actually get today. So in, in many cases, opening up to different diversification options, including bonds, you know, it's probably more open than not.
2: Right. I always think back to the time where there was no alternative. Certainly not uh, the case arguably today, Omar. Uh, thanks so much. Good to see you, Omar. I Good to on. see you. When we come back, a Ford cutting jobs in Europe, adding some in the U.S. as it revamps its EV strategy. Tesla, meantime, changing prices on some of its models in the United States again. Fourth uh, pricing move in a couple of months. Uh, futures have gone red on this Tuesday. Important data with CPI. More Squawk on the Street is straight ahead. Every day.
1: Ford announcing it plans to eliminate uh, about 3,800 jobs in Europe. That'll be over the next three years. The company citing the need for a leaner cost structure as it faces heightened competition in the uh, EV space, so to speak. The majority of cuts will take place in Germany and the UK. Ford says it does still uh, aim to offer an all electric fleet in Europe by 2035. Europe uh, oftentimes ahead of us in terms of their regulations and the need to sort of meet them when it comes to uh, the environment, ESG, and all, any other sorts of areas. Not a surprise here. Um, this is the priority for all the automakers. Right. We know that. Uh, and that's kind of where we are right now. I think GM is, what, 2030. That's not that far away, right? Right, from exactly. Quality. Certainly
3: yeah. not the, uh, the model years where they have to get it moving, get no. that stuff built. Um, and Bill Ford, um, chairman, basically saying maybe we took the RI off the ball on the existing business. In other words, let it uh, kind of get a little bit undisciplined, perhaps in the short term because we're going so hard to try and remake the company for EVs. And I think that pretty well uh, encapsulates the, the the fix that the old automakers yeah, were Yeah, although those,
1: is, those comments, he didn't throw, you know, he didn't throw Jim under the bus, so all. to speak. Not at all. It was, it was just bus. about,
3: you know, yeah. look, we have limited attention span and resources, and, and so make some trimming around the edges. But the way that the market views these stocks is, Look, it, you have kind of a core business that's that's no growth or worse, and maybe at a bad point in the cycle, uh, and you're starting to see a little bit of wear and tear on consumer creditworthiness with regard to auto finance. On the other on their side, we think they're doing great things and, and doing what they have to do on EVs, but it's still, you know, something you can't bet on. It's going to succeed uh, at scale. So uh, I think that's where, uh, you know, where almost everybody is. And then you have the Tesla changing the prices uh, all the time. And... You know, dialing it up and down, which I wonder about that in a sense
1: because. They got dynamic pricing now.
3: They have dynamic pricing. That's what it feels like. But don't like. all automakers have dynamic pricing? They just don't list, change the list prices.
1: Yeah. They change the incentives. They tell
3: the dealers, go harder or softer, and you, you know what I mean? So they. But Tesla doesn't have fleet. a dealer network really. Exactly. Right? So. so you see it. So it's yeah. just more visible. And yeah, exactly. So you're responding to, you know, short-term market signals and supply demand. Yeah. Actually, Jonas had
2: a great note earlier in the week about how COVID kind of flipped the margin profile of the dealer network upside down and maybe now we're reverting. But he's been a longtime critic of dealers who, for example, sell above MSRP uh, because he thinks they're doing long-term damage to demand.
3: Yeah. Uh, It's it's a tricky thing. I mean, you've heard both sides of it uh, in terms of whether it's an advantage. For the legacy automakers to have that, or it's 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 really kind of an impediment to change. But uh, you know, because their incentives are in different directions from the manufacturer.
2: Yeah. By the way, we didn't haven't mentioned uh, Avis with a double beat. Yeah. 10:46 uh, beat 6:45 rental days pricing. Uh, North America, international. David, it's kind of a repeat of what uh, Stephen Schur told us last week over at Hertz.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, travel is uh, obviously very strong. We're going to have the CEO of Marriott join us a little later in the program as well. We'll talk about that. Um, people continue to spend uh, on experiences, so to speak, on getting out and getting away. Yeah. Uh, and there is uh, Tony Capuano. He'll join us uh, again a bit later in the program. Uh, that call is going on right now, guys. Has
3: outsized effect on the Dow transports. Davis <laughs> of budget. Yeah, is that true? I believe so. Yeah, because it's a high-priced stock and it's in there. Uh, and, right. uh, and so there's some days where you're like, why why are the transports running and it's.
2: Uh, I was going to say I saw a, a couple notes this morning looking at uh, the, the the transports and. Wondering whether or not we're at, again, some sort of inflection point.
3: Right. Uh, um, it's, it, it's a tougher signal to, to rely on than it used to be, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, the, uh, I was going to also add, the, the Jonas note on consumer finance today from Morgan Stanley, uh, he's, he's trying to essentially sound a note of caution coming out of their consumer finance analysts, saying consumer delinquencies are something to watch. And Ford Credit uh, has guided below the street uh, in their last update yeah. in terms um, of the earnings. have.
2: Synchrony's not moving pre-market, but uh, they did have some net charge off data today. And I'm just thinking back to the downgrade we got last week out of Morgan Stanley, where they cut Discover yes. and upgrade Amex. Uh, Because of the changing profile uh, in income uh, strata. On the
3: other hand, Capital One and Synchrony and Discover have been great performers year to date because they were beaten up so much last year.
2: Still to come this morning, as David said. uh, Marriott did post that quarterly beat and says global bookings are pretty robust. We'll talk to Tony Capuano later on this hour as the futures have gone negative. Uh, A little bit of swirling action here in the wake of CPI earlier today. Don't go away.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets? Crude oil had been
2: knocking on the door of 80 earlier in the week, uh, currently down about 2% though, as uh, we are getting word that there will be another sale of about 26 million barrels from the SPR, part of a scheduled release. And uh, OPEC, by the way, leaving its uh, key forecast for oil supply and demand this year unchanged for the second month in a row. Opening bell coming up in just about five and a half minutes.
5: 3% of our business are large deals. And that almost 50 million dollars. So that some people love that, some people don't. I like it because it means we're a little more recession proof. Um, so then you have a tale of two stories, tale of two cities. Um, the small, the average revenue size went from six five to just over five million dollars. So it's decreasing. It's decreasing for exactly the reason Ryan says. It's decreasing because we're doing well in the U S. Most U S. commercial customers don't buy 50 million dollar contracts. They buy two three million dollar contracts. I think we're going to see a lot more of that
2: that's Palantir's Alex Carp on the earnings call after the company posted its first ever profitable quarter, uh, double beat, uh, beat on OperNet, beat on margin, uh, guiding above, Mike, for the full year on OperaNet as well.
3: Yeah, uh, and, and pretty well received, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting moment for it too, uh, just in terms of obviously the journey that the stock has been on over the last three years, it was, you know, over. It's a direct it was towards listing, 40. wasn't it? It was a direct Take listing. Take a look,
1: let's go back. On Is the that...
3: first day, it yeah. closed at 9.50. Right. First day reference price. I just looked it up. Was seven and a quarter. Yeah. It closed at 950 on the first day of the direct listing. Eventually went up to 40. Right.
1: Ish. Right. There and is. like
3: 50 times sales or something like that. And now, like a lot of these, they had the big multi-year sort of reckoning. It bottoms out like in the you know single digits again. Low, uh, you know, kind of mid to high single digits. And now it's up a lot from the lows, but still now it's sort of okay. We can get a fix on the revenue run rate. It's like seven times. You know, sales as opposed to anything else, and everybody's obsessed with AI all of a sudden, and so it all kind of comes together in this uh, in this little bump today.
1: I yeah, think. commercial revenues obviously going a lot faster than government revenues, but still make up a far smaller percentage of the overall revenue pie yeah. for the company right now. U.S. commercial revenue up uh, 67%, though government 19%. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one one cent a share gap. Yeah.
3: It is a gap number. It's a gap number. And should be somewhat more predictable because it's half,
0: you know, government.
2: Let's get the opening bell here in the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, black women on boards. And at the NASDAQ, UGEMX Bio, a biotech focused on gene therapy. You know, Mike, you mentioned AI. um, And we did see a bit of a reversal in some of the big... Big Bear, c C3 AI yesterday, coming back down to Earth a a bit.
3: Yeah, some of the, you know, the smaller uh, sub-scale kind of buzzy ones did reverse. Although, um, also notice this morning, B of A has a note on NVIDIA saying that uh, essentially this huge AI arms race uh, is likely to really ramp the growth rate for, you know, their uh, kind of chips built for it. Uh, accelerating, I mean, 25%, you know, revenue growth, as far as the eye can see, they're saying, and, you know, they raised the, the price target up toward, uh, I think it's like 275. So, you know, it was a, it was a kind of a refreshed look at, at NVIDIA uh, and an excuse to raise the price target. But already, I mean, NVIDIA is, you know, it's the sixth biggest market cap company in the in the market. Yep. Uh, it's a percent and a half of the S&P. It's already at 50% this year. So, you know, you have this sort of push-pull of like, AI is going to be huge, but has the market kind of gotten there to yeah. some degree? I
2: tweeted yesterday a speech that uh, Jensen Wong gave at Berkeley where he said that ChatGPT was, quote, a very, very big deal, and, quote, the iPhone moment of uh, artificial intelligence. I know, I think it was Morgan Stanley uh, yesterday. Said, uh, a lot of this is being overstated yeah. in the near term, but that the way to play it
3: is unquestionably NVIDIA. Right, and it's it's funny because we've it's been it been a week since the Microsoft event, and you've had the the shock and awe of the of the uh, display of the of the rollout. Then you have had the backlash. Well, look, this is just what software is, and this has been around for a while, and it's not going to change anything real, and it's buggy. And now we have the backlash to the backlash. People saying, no, actually, it's going to be huge. And you have to not ignore it as a driver, if nothing else, of corporate efficiency and productivity gains. If not, you know, the consumer applications. everybody. Uh,
1: and there we're looking at Microsoft. Of course, over the last few days, we have talked about the growing disparity in performance of both Microsoft and Alphabet. Given the fact that at least investors are focused on the opportunity Microsoft may have with ChatGPT. Uh, both in its Bing search platform, but even throughout many of its product offerings in the enterprise, versus Alphabet, which uh, is down yet again. Uh, the loss of market cap there over a one-week period—I haven't done the math, Mike—but it's got to be substantial at this point. You can just take a look at what's happened: over 13 uh, percent, and that's not with a market that's down anywhere near that during that period of time. No, it's much And/or off, its actually. peer group of the mega-cap tech, which basically been up. Yeah. Yeah.
3: No, it, it's clearly the. Um the street is, uh, is really downscaling what they think is the defendi- you know, the defensibility of Search Mode and you know, the projected profitability of that business. It's trading, again, like a mar- market-type multiple, 18 times earnings, so you wouldn't say all of a sudden it's dirt cheap. It's just cheap for Google based on its history. Is that X cash though I mean no, after cash it's not X cash no. that's a real it's a pretty real it, number yeah although people will argue that Microsoft because they expense stock based comp is you know looks more expensive than it is but nonetheless um, no there's a way to make a really compelling value kind of some of the parts argument for uh, for alphabet right now but the thing was you never used to have to do that because you were just marveling every quarter at oh my can you believe a company of this size still grows at 20% and it's not happening that way
1: either. right yeah. Right. Um, while we're talking Microsoft, might as well also come back to Activision, guys. Um, you know, I've been following it, as you might imagine, pretty close. We were coming off that CMA decision last week, which seems to have largely doomed Microsoft's efforts to acquire Activision. But it's not as though Activision doesn't continue to get a lot of focus from the investment community, in part because of so much of the cash that if, in fact, the deal were to fail, the company will have. Uh, in fact, if the... If it goes beyond, I think it's the 14th of, uh, um, of April, you get another half a billion from Microsoft uh, to Activision. That would bring the reverse term fee to $3 billion. Um, $3 billion. Um, yesterday, the CFO of Activision was in Boston, today in New York doing some um, conversations with investors. I think yesterday it was a Jeffries lunch, today it's a, another couple of uh, brokerage firms. But when asked about what they're going to do with their cash, the CFO said, listen, we have a disciplined approach. We're going to evaluate the dividend or a dividend buybacks, uh, and even m and which was surprising to some in the audience uh, as well. As an aside, I'd mention, uh, there's been some speculation I've heard lately, because Morgan Stanley put the name on the restricted list. Have they been hired in some fashion? Is there a possibility of activism defense here for Activision? Because maybe somebody's in there thinking, well, we want to make sure they return a lot of that cash to shareholders. We'll see. Um, Elliot's name has been mentioned. No real sense there as to whether that's true, but did want to mention it overall on Activision. It's held up very well. Yeah. Very well. Obviously, the spread to the $95 price Microsoft is significant. It always has been. It will continue to be. Even though there is still a glimmer, people hope, of hope somehow they could agree to sell a division, which seems unlikely, reach some sort of deal with Sony, seems unlikely to uh, overcome these CMA's objections. over
3: the span since the bid was, was out there, since Microsoft agreed to buy it, it for a while looked like there was a lot of downside to Activision because the rest of the peer group you know, had this had a bad quarter and they, and they went down, the valuation looked yes. like it was mismatched. And then it just held it steady. The, you know, that bid out there just held it in, the, in place to the point where the rest of the group caught up, but it looks like the grew into the valuation a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, by the way, on Activision and Activism, the possibility. I don't want to make too much of that because there isn't too much. Come back to Salesforce. Uh, you know, not much to report there. Most people looking more for the likelihood of a of a settlement here of some kind with Elliot. Here we know Elliot's there. Um, the nominating window opened the other day. No word there. Not much, but you know, Benioff does like to avoid conflict to the extent that he can. I mean he put Mason Morphin on the board like that yes. from Value Act. So again, just waiting to see here, if you did get some sort of settlement with Elliot, what would it look like? What would it include? You know, is it a new board member or two? Is there some sort of roadmap to higher margin target roadmap to succession? Again, we'll see. But certainly one that we remain focused on. I wish I had more from our reporting there. I haven't been able to come up with much.
3: I mean, Wells Fargo was this morning out with a a note on Salesforce, really looking at the margin expansion possibility and saying that there is a path to like 500 basis points of operating margin expansion in fiscal 24. So the idea being that there's, there's plenty of room. The company has spoken about even incremental cost cutting beyond that point. So it just, if nothing else, creates this sense that there's a, you know, there's there's a little bit of uh, urgency and an impetus from the activists to do what what can be done within the company and, uh, and and get the profitability up. And you know, the market never, for years, never cared, right? So it's not as if they've tried all along to maximize bottom line profits and failed. It's just that they won't run that way. I think that's the argument anyway. And uh, Wells anyway has a uh, 171 price target based on achieving those. Uh, those expectations so I uh, know oh it's price right now. Price target actually is up 36 uh, percent from here. So
2: uh, Apple uh, having a little difficulty in this tape, but most Dow components are down, but Apple's down the most. Um, this FTP is pretty interesting, uh, Mike, about stumbling blocks as they try to move some of their supply chain to India. Uh, there's a line in here that one of the uh, suppliers, Tata, uh, just one out of every two components coming off the line is in good enough shape. To then be sent to Foxconn for assembly, um, and they obviously are sending executives there to train and get that supply chain up and running. But that's going to be an interesting migration. It's a huge undertaking. You can only imagine. On the upside, Ted Lasso is coming back uh, <laughs> for their new season, uh, March thirteenth.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it fits into the earnings model. I don't know the street really has a good fix on. It on what that does for Apple uh, plus churn. Um, my my rule on Apple is when you get these stories about supply chain or you know order, you know, order cancellation of volumes and and, and you know manufacturing issues, if the stock responds, it's because the stock needed to do that anyway, because, meaning, meaning that uh, I, I think Apple's given the benefit of the doubt that they're going to sort those things out. So if we're down one and a half percent in Apple, it's because people have been piling in and it's still, you know, on the expensive side. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, it, it was moving with the index or powering the index in this NASDAQ move as opposed to, you know, specific pricing in of, uh, of volumes. I
1: mean, they spent about $5 billion in content just to the, to the uh, Ted Lasso. At Apple, Um, where's Amazon at? About 8 billion. Disney Plus, about 16 billion. Netflix, 17 billion. But when it comes to content spend for an Apple, I mean, it could be infinite. Nobody cares what they spend. Um, And Amazon, less so, but still, you know, I brought up this idea would Amazon ever consider just saying, we're done? Right. That's a lot of money they could cut very quickly. It's very true. Uh, if Amazon yeah. chose not to sort of continue to pursue their content strategy, no sign that that's the case. But uh, when you mentioned Ted Lasso, I do think about what they spend there. Apple's a real player here, though. But again, you can't put those dollar numbers in some perspective. Yeah. Although they're spending, what did they did they buy Michael Lewis's treatment for SBF? Did you guys hear no, this? Really, uh, no, really? I, I heard they spent. I heard it's 10 million bucks. You mad? Just for the option? Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> oh, he, no he got lucky with the yet. book, right? Yeah. Right, it, on, on Sam Banker. Sure, yeah. yeah. Man. And aren't there better like, to be lucky than good? I mean, How he's many both. projects
3: do you think there are at this point? Like, everyone's got one, Yes. Right?
1: Every, oh, I on, mean, every on, streaming on service
3: is tr- is apparently hustling to have their version of it. Oh, oh sure. But, doubt, but Lewis though. has got
1: the in, right? Oh, no, of yes. course. Yeah. 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 He's got the in. Yeah. But, yeah, everybody. You don't yeah. have one, Mike? You haven't <laughs> yeah. done although, a
3: treatment? Although, isn't Lewis famously uh, talked about how it's such a great scam. You sell the option, they renew it all the time. They never make the movie, which <laughs> okay. was the case until Moneyball. So. And they did. Yes, and then they, they did. did. They went it. on from there. I think uh, they're going to make this one, though. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Some consumer names. Um, Coke. Uh, is a beat. Uh, you heard Quincy on with uh, Sarah earlier this morning, I believe. Uh, revenue ahead. Organic up 15, and Street was only looking for 10.6. Uh, I kind of leads you to Walmart as well, the only other uh, name that's above it, along with uh, McDonald's. But a couple pieces on Walmart. One is uh, this journal piece yesterday, Mike, in which they're pushing back on suppliers, finally saying, hey, enough with the price hikes. And then this tech hub strategy where yeah. they're going to uh, sort of revamp uh, their forward-looking tech uh, layout and force some workers to come back.
3: Yeah, I, you know Walmart's version of what Amazon went through in a smaller way, uh, just essentially saying it maybe got over ambitious on this stuff and um, going to be going to be trimming around the edges. So um, yeah, I mean, also indications are that they're probably going to have pretty decent. Uh, quarter. Uh, that's the way some of the sell-side notes are, are treating it as well. Although expecting conservative guidance in the mode of Walmart. But yeah, uh, trying to you know again get uh, get fit. It's it's it's, it's the rule. Right what do we now.
2: make of uh, Andy Jassy telling the FT he's going to double down on physical stores?
3: I know about that? Yeah. I mean I don't know what. What doubling down means, if that means you know we have the Whole Foods footprint and you know we're happy with that, we can use that as a vehicle of expansion or just more of the experimental models. I'm not really sure. Um, is he at the two year? Is that what's going on? Is he at the two year mark? Not Or two quite, since right?
1: since Bezos said he was leaving. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe right, but yeah. not actually. I think it was the summer. Uh, it'll be two years. This July sounds from memory that he will actually be in the job. It hasn't been the easiest. I time. just
3: remember that um, that Jeff Bezos announced he was leaving, and it was like. The perfectly timed peak moment for that category of stock.
1: So, After the sell pandemic. when Bezos said he was leaving. He, he, yeah. he nailed it pretty yeah. well, I think. Yeah. So, do we buy when he comes back? I, yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
3: the boomerang. By the way, it made me think about the content spend because it seemed like that was, he took a personal interest.
1: Bezos yes. did. Yes, right? he did. And he would yes, write the he templates did. here so you could tell a story and yes. make an epic. Bezos yes, Bezos had a Hollywood ropes. moment. Like, yes, has so. had it. No, nope. $8 billion, that's all it costs. That's come right. on, it's nothing. <laughs> and buying MGM. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> uh, when we come back this morning, earnings, uh, travel demand, and inflation, we're going to discuss it all with the CEO of Marriott first on CNBC. As we go to break, though, check bonds today. Uh, if you missed CPI today, 5 tenths was pretty much in line, but up from the prior 1 10th uh, and year on year, 6'4, we were looking for 6'2. There's a look at what yields have done as the uh, 10 year still trying to hug 3 and 3 quarters. Be right back. Yeah. Boeing has uh, shot to the top of the Dow component list this morning as the White House scoops some news uh, saying that Air India has ordered 220 Boeing jets. Uh, that includes 190 MAX, 20 Dreamliners, 10 777X, with an option for 70 more. As they say, uh, the airline's trying to transform itself under Tata. Uh, Boeing currently up uh, almost 2% with the Dow down 104. Be right back.
1: Marriott reporting quarterly results this morning. Uh, It was a beat on both the top and the earnings line. Strong travel demand continues. Marriott International CEO Tony Capuano joins us in a first on CNBC. Tony, good to have you. Let's just start off on your sense of the economy. On the conference call, you said, you know, we have not seen signs of demand softening. Uh, it's early in the year. We've got a lot of cross currents. Do you expect that to remain the case for the remainder of the year?
5: Uh, good morning, David. We think so. The, uh, the forward booking data looks terrific. And I think what's most encouraging to us is we're seeing strong recovery across all three demand segments. If you look at the quarter, leisure demand was up 7% group was a particular highlight, up 10%. And business transient was 90% recovered. And for small and medium-sized businesses, actually up 6%. But I want to go back to group for a minute because it goes to your point. When we look at the forward group bookings for 2023, we're actually tracking about 20% ahead of where we were a year ago.
1: Interesting. Now... You know, business uh, travel, uh, something that we talked about endlessly during the heart of the pandemic and whether or not it would ever come back to what it was in 2019. Where does it stand right now in terms of the recovery? And again,
5: what are your expectations when it comes to the remainder of this year? So in the U.S. and Canada, our biggest market, we're 90 percent recovered to where we were pre-pandemic. But if you go a a level deeper, small and medium-sized businesses, which represent about 60% of our total universe of business transient demand, are actually 6% ahead of where we were in 2019. It's the larger companies that have recovered more slowly than we would like. But even there, we have a subset called special corporate, which are pre-negotiated rates with large employers, and we actually rolled over their rates for two years. As we came into 2023, we did re-enter into negotiations, and we've been able to negotiate rates increased in the high single digits, which I think bodes well for business travel going into 23. Yeah, do you ever think it's gonna get back to pre-pandemic levels? I hope so. My, what I've said previously, and I really believe this, and I think the data bears it out, I don't for a moment believe overall travel is permanently impaired, but I think it's going to look a little different. One of the things we talked about on the call this morning, what we've historically thought of as shoulder days, Thursday and Sunday, have actually recovered more quickly, which I think is evidence of this idea of blended trip purpose. And interestingly, if you look at business trips that we accommodated in 2022, they were 20% longer in duration. So we have more and more guests tacking on a couple days of leisure pre or post business trip. And so while the mix might look a little different, I think travel will continue to recover in a really compelling way.
3: Tony, you highlighted the uh, digital growth and the usage of your, your mobile app and, and essentially what, what percentage of your business is now uh, kind of attributable to some of that. What does that mean longer term for the relationship with the booking networks, the, the availability of inventory there? Is there a kind of a push-pull on that front?
5: Not necessarily. I, mean, I think what we learned, particularly in the pandemic, uh, the, the travel intermediaries, the OTAs, They are a valuable partner for us. They allow us to access guests that we might not access uh, uh, on our own. But what we saw over the last couple of years, while the OTAs grew, our share of of proprietary channels is growing more rapidly. And those are obviously very efficient, very cost-effective channels for our owner community.
2: Uh, Tony, labor availability, um, how would you rate it uh, relative to the worst of uh, coming out of COVID?
5: Meaningfully better. Uh, we are, uh, in terms of available job openings in the US and Canada, we're actually below where we were in 2019. Uh, last year, the company hired 190,000 new Marriott Associates. And so we're really encouraged about uh, the career opportunities we can offer our associates and how that's manifesting itself in terms of our ability to staff up.
1: Uh, Tony, in his State of the Union address, the president actually spent a little time talking about cracking down on junk fees uh, at resorts, at hotels, airlines. How, if in any way, is that going to impact your business? You know, what were your
5: reaction? What was your reaction to when you heard it uh, within the corporation? Well, we, like many Americans, listen closely to every comment during the State of the Union. Uh, My takeaway is what the President was really focused on was, quote, hidden fees. And when you look at the manner in which we disclose resort and destination fees, number one. Number two, when you look at the value proposition that we require our hotels to offer in exchange for charging one of those fees. And three, when we remind ourselves that with a global portfolio of 8,300 hotels, Less than 300 have those fees. We think we're in a pretty good position relative to the comments from the president.
1: And finally, Tony, having traveled very recently as well, um, housekeeping service has not returned to an everyday affair in many of the places you may stay. Is that simply uh, where we are right now and something that will continue, a way obviously to improve margins for many of
5: these hotels, or will we ever get back to everyday? Well, we're in the hospitality business, so our our housekeeping is evolving based on the expectations of our guests and the economic realities that our owners and franchisees face. So what we've rolled out varies a bit by quality tier. In our luxury portfolio, we are back to where we were pre-pandemic, full housekeeping every day. In our full service portfolio, we are doing a, a modified daily service. And in our select service portfolio, we're doing an every other day modified portfo- uh, service. Excuse me. So we think we're meeting the needs of the guests and being sensitive to some of the continued cost pressures that our owner community faces.
1: All right. Sounds like we're, we're the same on that. Tony, always appreciate the updates. Thank you. Thank you so much, David.
2: When we come back this morning, uh, Bank of America Chief Brian Moynihan will get his take on inflation, the consumer, and a lot more as the market seems to have repaired some of the opening losses. Uh, S&P's gone green, uh, 41.40, and the Dow shaving its losses down to 40 points. We're back in a moment.
1: You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From their innovative practice facility